I am grateful for the opportunity to be with you in worship today. Jennifer and I consider it a gift to share our fellowship. I was thinking about Wade being at that game yesterday. It really should probably count him two weekends off for the amount of time he got to spend. We're going to hear the word of the Lord this morning from a parable found in Matthew 22. And we're going to share it from the Phillips translation. Perhaps a common vocabulary around parables will give us courage to encounter this dynamic story. A parable not only says something, it does something. A parable is its own strategy. It is an experience, an impact. Can a joke be explained and still function as a joke? If a speaker breaks in on a work of music to tell us what it means, is something lost? Paul Duke tells us that a miracle is like a river rushing forward, sharply turning, steeply falling, spinning eddies, washing many banks. How do you preach a river? The best you can do is to ride it, having others ride it with you, feeling its force together, pointing to some of the sights, respecting its expansive and moving wilderness, knowing it will defeat all efforts to sum it up. Therefore, we embark on this journey with a cheerful humility. It is a fine thing to be defeated by a parable. May this story of Jesus work on us this morning. And so we begin in Matthew 22, verse 1. Then Jesus began to talk to them again in parables. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who arranged a wedding for his son. He sent his servants to summon those who had been invited to the festivities, but they refused to come. They, they wouldn't come. And in verse 4 he says, then he tried again. He sent some more servants saying to them, tell those who have been invited, here is my wedding breakfast and it's ready. My bullocks and fat cattle have been slaughtered and everything is prepared. Everything is on the table. Come to the feast. But they took no notice of this and went off. One went to his farm. Another to his business. They, they only shrugged their shoulders. There's always work to be done. As for the rest, they got hold of the servants treated them disgracefully, and finally killed them. They, they killed the messengers. At this the king was very angry, and sent his troops and killed those murderers and burned down their cities. 
here's a scene you just might find at our house, and maybe it can shed a little light on my culpability. Honey, where's that save the date card? I said, hoping it was lost. Do you have any idea when the party starts? And where we're going? Sometimes, even the grace of God can just be one more thing on an already pressed schedule. And so, may I voice a collective prayer for all of us, sort of a confessional prayer that says, Lord, we've grown so accustomed to Your gracious invitations that we must confess Sometimes it's just one more thing to have on our plate. One more thing among many. It is easy, we confess, to grow indifferent. We confess we can be brutal to the messenger, the one bringing us good news. Forgive our complacency when we simply shrug off your invitation. Life is a gift. An invitation to the feast is all gift. This day is a gift. This hour, each opportunity, each challenge that we face, we can too easily be lulled into thinking that our presence that our contribution, that even our absence does not really matter. However, the Scripture tells us that to whom much is given, much is required. I guess that's something of my real father's story. You see, I, I never knew him. And I was in my late 40s just a couple of years ago, when I had the opportunity to have a conversation for the very first time with the woman that was his third wife who lived in Santa Fe because she had taken him there to be buried, several weeks after that momentous visit, I received a letter from her with a strong word of understanding. She wrote this someday your father will have a lot of explaining to do about his discriminatory disinvolvement in your life. I have treasured that moment of reading that, that letter because she put into words my own experience. Can, can any one of us make a case for our discriminatory disinvolvement in the kingdom of God. It's puzzling to try to explain our absence from the things that matter most. Our invitation to the wedding is pure gift. It is important to save the date, to prioritize our efforts for the sake of the kingdom, it is a tragedy when we cannot be present to each other and to God. 
John Claypool, in his book, Tracks of a Fellow Struggler, declared that only when life is seen as a gift and received with open hands of gratitude is it the joy God meant for it to be. Then he said to his servants, verse 8, The wedding feast is quite ready, but those who were invited are not good enough for it. So go off now to all the street corners and invite everyone there that you find. Invite them to the feast. So the servants went out into the streets and collected together all those they found, good and bad alike. And the hall was filled with guests. The banquet was on. Every place was filled. Hearing this story, I have much to confess. I see myself in this drama. At, at our house, you might hear some reticence in me. All right, but who's going to this party? Will any of our friends be there? Is just anybody invited? So here my prayer, and perhaps ours together. Why, O oh Lord, are we surprised by the wideness of your mercy? Forgive us for our tight hearts. Expand our narrow list of those we include in your community of grace. Yesu, Yesu, fill us with your love, Show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. Now I'm getting ready to tell you one of my all-time favorite stories. I'm reminded of an experience by reading this text. An experience with Ken Miedema, the singer, the artist, the composer, the songwriter, extraordinaire, though blind from birth. He has written the words of the song we will sing in just a moment, Come, Let Us Reason Together. Perhaps sometime along the way, you too have been fortunate to worship with Ken. I remember a night in my first pastorate with Ken and at a time when he captured all of our hearts. Ken and I had first met at a student gathering. We, he was the keynote musician and I was the preacher. Each night I spoke, he would then follow that time with a song that he wrote while I was speaking, saying in a few words what it took me forever and a day to say. Trust me, his songs were way better than any one of my sermons. The day of the concert, we flew down and picked him up and flew back to Northwest Oklahoma. He was coming to us from 
a campus concert the night before, and I remember him still marveling about uh, an opening act that had led him before he sang the night before. He was astounded at the very idea that he had someone opening before him. And so he described in great detail this performer, a professor who billed himself as a one-man act, playing eight to ten instruments. Tin Ken confessed that he had not expected much, but boy was he wrong, he said. The professor had a Ph.D. in composition and a Ph.D. in English literature. He played every instrument with great expertise, and he then wove it all into a wonderful story. I remember that little short flight over western Oklahoma. As Ken told us story after story about what a wonderful time he had listening and experiencing the one-man band. And he said that that talented man had inspired him now to be with us and to be his best with us. And then he said, looking me straight in the eyes, how glad I am that you have invited me to come while I was really feeling how glad we were that he was coming. Well, there, there was not an empty seat in the house. Everyone had accepted the invitation, even Virginia. A preacher's widow who had been courting a 56-year-old mama's boy bachelor in our church. Now, I have an earned degree in Virginia. Some other time, I'll tell you more about it. But trust me, she required lots of time. She was a force to be reckoned with. For that night, the church had pur purchased a new piano, and that night, Ken really made it shine. When it was over, no one wanted to leave. They wanted to hold on to the evening. Practically everyone stood in line to speak to Ken. And when I spotted Virginia, last person in line, my anxiety spiked. It had been a long day for Ken and I realized and grieved that it was about to get longer. When Virginia finally got to him, I prayed that she might keep it short, but I knew that she could not. She talked, and she talked as the church house emptied out. I went around and locked the rest of the building and turned off all the lights, and I was tempted to turn off the lights in the sanctuary, but it wouldn't have mattered to Ken. Finally, I walked up to try to deliver him from her tight grasp, a situation I had been in many, many times. And so I placed my hand on his shoulder, shoulder only to discover that he did not need my help. 
what I had thought was great pain for him was actually great pleasure. Oh, Steve, he said, you've got to hear Virginia's story. Oh, Ken, I thought. You're the most gracious person I've ever known in all of my life. And I wondered, how did he do it? He said, you'll never believe who this woman is. Who is this woman, I asked. And he said, she's the sister of the one-man band from last night. And the joke was on me. In a world without borders, everyone is invited, even the good and bad. So we are called to open up the gates for our neighbors. And our neighbors are rich folk and poor. Neighbors are black, brown, and white. Neighbors are nearby and far away. Verse 11. But when the king came in to inspect the guest, he noticed among them a man not dressed for a wedding. I heard one of our Native American pastor friends leading his congregation in a Zoom Bible study on Wednesday night. And he suggested something about this that I had never read about the text. That this man not dressed for a wedding particularly stood out because the king, who had opened up the invitation and sent the people out in the streets to extend the invitation, he said had also presented them with the wedding gowns to wear for this night and this occasion. And so the king said, how did you come in here, my friend, without being properly dressed for the wedding? And the man had nothing to say. Then the king said to the ushers, tie him up, throw him into the darkness outside, and there he can weep and regret his folly. For many are invited, but few are chosen. It's embarrassing that I've been known to make such complaints. Honey, what's the attire? How do I have to dress? Do I have to wear a tie? And so I confess and ask God to hear our prayer. And Lord, forgive us for not having the grace to dress for the occasion. Why should we be surprised if you examine us for our breach of etiquette and then cast us out into the darkness? Thank you for asking of us what you most desire, that we be clothed in love, that's where the true light shines, O oh God. Many are invited. Let us 
this beloved community be chosen because we are dressed in Christ's love. We're part of this motley crew, and we share together in this beloved fellowship. And there is something required of us beyond being here by the skin of our teeth. The appropriate attire that the king desires is a mark of discernment. It is a sign of growing maturity to strip our life down to one compelling loyalty. And that may be to be adorned in Christ's love. So every time we gather, every Sunday we come, can be for us a day of consecration. A time to examine the claim of God's invitation upon our lives. To explore together what God is asking of us. Will we put God's invitation as our top priority? With whom will we extend and share this feast? How expansive will God find our hearts to be? Can we enlarge our acceptance of others? As participants in this feast, will we ask God, what should we wear? How should we be attired? I think getting dressed for the feast requires us to ask some hard questions. Like, what does the Lord require of us? Micah's request in 6 verse 8. God has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God wants us to do justice, to be a voice for the oppressed, the widow, and the foreigner. God wants us to love kindness, to care for the handicapped, minorities, the elderly, and the poor. God wants us to walk humbly with God, to listen to God's voice wherever God may be heard, and thoughtfully examine what it means to live our lives with faith. If we are going to share the wedding feast, we must be dressed to the nines, asking hard questions about all sorts of things, even our income and expenditures, wholly bold questions like, how do I spend my money? And what percentage of my income, O oh God, are you calling me to give? Stewardship, you see, begins when we see that the goodness of our lives is a gift from God. I am floored by one moment in this drama. It stands out to me every time I read it. 
that the man who wasn't properly dressed, when asked what in the world he was doing, the story says the man had nothing to say. I stand here speechless, or at least that's what some of you are hoping. My pocket has a hole in it too often. Too often I have nothing to give because it's already gone. Well, perhaps being properly attired for me means that there's some darning to be done. The wedding feast to which we've been invited requires us to be clothed in love. There are standards, expectations upon the guest. The feast demands that we put on our best selves. You know, it's easy to read this parable and to struggle with how unfair it seems that this one is blindsided. But maybe that's the point. Maybe it is at his expense so that we might not be blindsided ourselves. God will transform us with love, even tough love. The integrity of the gospel asks for us to put on the garment of love, to get dressed for the wedding feast. My favorite anthem, perhaps you recall and know, was by, is by Bob Burroughs, entitled, Jesus, My Lord, My Life, My All. I, I remember first singing this when I was in high school with the choir, and I remember that it spoke to my heart then as it does now about my own desire to in some way live my life out for the kingdom's causes. And it concludes by saying, Jesus of thee will be my song. To thee my heart and soul belong. All that I have or own is thine, and thou, O blessed Savior, thou art mine. Jesus, my Lord, I thee adore, oh, make me love thee more and more. Oh, that I, oh, that we might be adorned by God's love. May we pray together. O oh God, for the invitation to this day, we give you thanks. May your kingdom be at the top of all of our list. May your kingdom be our passion. Fill us with your love. May we be adorned like Christ in whom we live and move and have our being. Amen.